is Groundhog Day. Will spring come sooner or later? I don't care as much as I care about getting the vaccine sooner than later. Today's episode is not about Groundhog Day. This is going to be a different episode today. For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do some different things for the podcast. Today, I will be reading from my new book, Embezzlement, How to Prevent, Detect, and Investigate Pink Collar Crime. Hopefully, you will get something out of this. It's not to sell the book. It is much more of my backstory. I hope you enjoy. My dedication is simple. Richard, you have always been there. I couldn't ask for or want more. Noah and Lily, stay being you. Hashtag proud. This dedication is even more meaningful now. Unfortunately, you will find out more down the road. Forward. Shortly after earning my undergraduate degree in international studies and economics, I began a sensible career in finance. In hindsight, finance was not the best choice for me. Money was. By money, I mean analyzing how people make decisions regarding their assets, how they view, spend, earn, save, and sometimes steal money over the course of their lives. I took a step in this direction with my second career in law enforcement, but it's my current job as an educator about fraud detection and prevention that best incorporates my passion for the psychology of money. So how did I get here? Well, the abridged version is that I received a phone call while working at Piper Jaffrey, a financial brokerage firm in Lake Oswego, Oregon. The special agent asked about a specific client whom I had always considered a bit suspicious, but this was the early 90s. We didn't have risk identification and compliance services like Know Your Customer in place. All I knew for certain was that the client, Alan, showed up one day with a big check in his pocket. He wanted to trade a lot, which made him a great client for the broker. Churn and burn, they used to say. He didn't seem to care about the fees or risk. Later, we found out why. The money was stolen. Alan had committed wire fraud, and eventually he was arrested. A lesson I learned from that experience and subsequent years in financial investigation field was that people don't care about taking care of money when they don't earn it through hard work. A year after that, I left my job in finance to learn how to shoot guns, drive fast cars, and conduct surveillance at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Brunswick, Georgia. I was now a special agent for the U.S. Customs Office of Investigation, now part of Homeland Security. I couldn't believe that I got paid to follow suspects, study bank statements, listen to phone calls, and when appropriate, make arrests. Most of the people I investigated were men, Bad guys who dealt drugs, laundered money, preyed on children, and committed fraud. A markedly high point of my career was getting a female lawyer disbarred and sent to prison for stealing $2.4 million in an advance fee scheme. An advance fee scheme is a type of fraud that usually involves promising the victim a large share of a big amount of money in return for a small upfront payment, hence the advance term. The lawyer was fueled by greed, much like the men who preceded her in committing crimes like this. But unlike them, it would have been easy for her to escape detection due to her respectable good girl image. I must say that my work was becoming increasingly interesting. However, that was when my husband finished his PhD and we moved to the Midwest. Despite the advantages of this new home, it didn't have a port of entry, so my customs career came to a close. 
After three years staying at home with my kids, I was eager to rejoin the workforce. I dipped my toe in, hanging around the fringes of law enforcement by conducting background investigations for the federal government. Then my family decided to move back home to Portland, Oregon, where I accepted a position as an analyst on the Fraud Identity Theft Enforcement Team, FIGHT, at the local sheriff's office. While there, I studied and obtained my Certified Fraud Examiner designation. My job was to assist the detectives working on theft cases, generating what were called packages on the suspects, including spreadsheets, background information, etc. This work also included scheduling their banking information, meaning tracing funds in and out of suspects' bank accounts. As much as I liked all of my colleagues, Microsoft Excel was definitely my best friend at the office. Smart, reliable, and definitely low-maintenance, good old Excel helped me see patterns in the data. For example, one standout pattern that came to light was that all but one of the suspects in my embezzlement cases were women. This simple observation led me down an exciting new path. In studying the bank statements of suspects and victims alike, I noted that the excuses the suspects used were split. Some women stole to make ends meet, while others wanted to keep up with the Joneses, to live the life. Regardless of their motives, what struck me was just how ordinary some of these female perpetrators were. From homemakers to long-term employees, these were not women that you, or anyone else for that matter, would suspect of illegal activity. This is why I urge the FIGHT's office's public information officer to put out press releases about these convictions and jail sentences. Admittedly, I pushed this idea with such intensity that I was banned from saying press release at our weekly meetings because there was some resistance to this change in policy. I knew that if information on these cases were made readily available, law enforcement, the justice system, and even news reporters would pay attention. Business owners may not be that interested in a teenager who stole a car, but they would take the time to read about the nice office manager who stole about a million dollars from her dental practice employer. Plus, there was the Google effect to consider. If embezzlers had press releases tied to their names, then business owners Googling potential employees would have access to pertinent information. This would allow employers to make more informed hiring decisions and better protect their livelihoods. In the end, my colleagues agreed with me and the sheriff's office started featuring convicted embezzlers in the quarterly newsletter. I've given my presentation about detection and prevention of embezzlement many times over the years, and I'm still surprised by the scale of this problem based on the questions that participants asked during and after the sessions. It seems that everyone knows someone who has been a victim of embezzlement or knows someone who was an embezzler. Of course, most people can't relate to the criminal fraud cases covered by the media, like the Bernie Madoff scandal and the infamous Enron debacle. However, most people can relate to the office manager ripping off the local chiropractor, the mother embezzling from a youth soccer program, or a municipal clerk stealing to support a gambling habit. These type of suspects live in our communities. Their kids go to school with our kids. They're average people who, for one reason or another, cross the line into criminal behavior. Their stories are featured prominently in this book to help you better understand, identify, and prevent embezzlement. 
Whether you are a small business owner, accountant, auditor, taxpayer, or parent, this book will further your knowledge about embezzlement. After all, no one is invulnerable to financial fraud. It's simply a byproduct of our society, which requires that we not only trust other people, but also businesses and systems. By the way, falling victim to an embezzlement scheme absolutely does not mean you're foolish or a lousy business person. It means someone took advantage of you financially or with regard to your assets. Trust me, I too have been indirectly swindled by an embezzler. The irrigation district for my area of the county was embezzled to the tune of $200,000. Unfortunately, the alleged suspect killed herself when she realized management had caught on to her thievery. That is a red-collar crime. A red-collar crime is defined as when the alleged criminal uses violence to escape detection of the financial crime or to escape prosecution or jail. With the type of embezzlement I'm focusing on in this book being such a study in human behavior, maybe my fourth act career should be fraud therapist. Before we move on, I should clarify two terms I've started using, embezzlement and fraud. Embezzlement and fraud have slightly different meanings. The crime of embezzlement involves withholding someone or a business's assets, example given money, dishonesty, dishonestly, and later claiming ownership of those assets. Fraud is intentionally cheating an individual or business for money or goods. Embezzlement is committed through fraudulent acts. Most of what I cover in this book falls into the embezzlement category. Someone is committing a type of theft. Importantly, I want to introduce you to the name for the category of embezzlement at the heart of this book. It's pink collar crime. To explain this, I'll use a quote from when I was interviewed for an article in Forbes magazine. Pink collar crime involves low to mid-level employees, primarily women, who steal from the workplace. The concept is about position, not gender. Women hold 90% of all bookkeeping jobs. These are the positions where money moves through business. The people in these roles know the accounting and office systems better than most. They see every dollar that goes through the business, from the CEO's expenses to vendor payments. We'll further explore the range of pink collar crimes throughout this book based on my experience working in this field and real cases. My hope is that it will help you better understand the nature of these crimes and the people who commit such acts. That is the end of the foreword. Um, this book was years in the making and I really, truly enjoyed it. Uh, my daughter calls it a pamphlet. It's not a big book. And the reason I kept it this way is I want business owners, I want fraud examiners, I want investigators to be able to quickly get the information. So thank you for listening today. If you have any suggestions, be sure to reach out to me. Or if you have any cases that you'd like me to take a look at um, and just tweet or you know do some research on, I would love to do that. Thank you again.